This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I am joined here by my hardworking co-host, Brie Tucker. Hello, hello. How is everybody doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I can say from working six feet away from Brie that she is extremely hardworking. So that is yeah, the perfect adjective for you today. Not nearly as much as you, but... Oh, you want to you discount your positive adjectives, <laughs> but they're okay. totally true. You're right. You're right. I, I need to be more open to the positive, right? I just read a meme that said, like, positive thoughts for the day. You fell down the stairs. Well, I got down the stairs real quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that is a positive thought. It's funny it because is. the way I look at life, anytime I make a mistake or have a big accident like that, like I'm extremely accident prone. I just laugh about it. You you kind of have to sometimes. I'm like that too. Like I have a thing. Of, I don't know. It's it's uh, my, my problem is electronics, which I find funny because we were just having technical issues. We were just having technical issues. I have issues. a thing yeah. about me, like some electromagnetic fields that breaks things a lot. I don't think that's true. (laughs) It could be. It could be. That's like everyone who says that they're horrible at tech. And really, I'm sorry if I offend anyone here, but really, you're not horrible at tech. You just have not tried enough tech and uh, be willing to fail multiple times. True. You are our tech guru here. Well, tech is like a demanding force and it'll beat you down every single time. Uh, and you just have to get up and keep going. It is. It is very intimidating. Very much so. But hey, <laughs> interesting. Kind of leads us into today's episode. Mm-hmm. We uh, we spoke with um, Ned Johnson of The Self-Driven Child, which it just right there, like we're talking about um, not giving up. Motivation. Continuing on with things. Yeah. Right? Perseverance. Yes. And how so, we can help our kids do the same. Yes. And I have to say, it was a hilarious um, interview from the get-go. I think like, our whole interview was really the model of perseverance. 
<laughs> because first, first Ned is like so much fun. Like we enjoyed him so so much. Yes. Well, we knew we were going to right because I I before the uh, podcast I always have to send out like a little info packet to them and I ask him for a picture so that I can work on the cover art. And he sends back his headshot of him making a, an interesting face while drinking some coffee. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> ah! I like laughed out loud when I saw it. I'm like, this is going to be a good interview. I can tell. Yeah, and it was. It was a good interview because first it started out and Ned was recording in his bathroom. Right. It was the only place in his house that he could have quiet and be away from everybody who was online learning because COVID times. (laughs) And then we had the most interruptions of any interview that we've ever had. Like my dog was in the house and also um, the woman who comes and cleans my house, Beth, she was in the house and uh, a pest control exterminator came by as well. So we were talking with Ned on screen and my dog, Addie, she's always in the room with us. Uh, She heard something at the door and just gave this really loud bark. Right. And Ned started laughing on the other end. He's like, you guys should have seen how far you both jumped out of your chairs. Well, because she's a big dog. Addie's our little, she is totally our little uh, mascot for the podcast. For for mom in general, she is our, she is our little mascot. And And it was just, we weren't expecting it. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. (laughs) And and she barked again. um, And it was Beth at the door saying that the exterminator was there. And so at that point, I had had it. And I was like, Addie, you are going in your crate. And so I was taking her um, in her crate in the other room. And I had my air pods in which I listened into the interview <laughs> and I'm putting, hear talking? I, I could hear you talking and I'm putting Addie in the crate and I hear Ned being like oh oh there's the pest control guy right there and the pest control guy had come into the office and was like spraying around all the corners <laughs> yes. of the room <laughs> during so this crazy. interview yeah it, it was definitely one of those joys of uh having a home office kind of situation <laughs> for sure oh I'm just like but I'm he was with laughing it, kept it going and even then, like, I think we talk about, too, in the episode, it was right before my birthday. Yeah. So, like, we're going out to lunch, and he's like, what is – the restaurant had a weird name. And Sicilian Butcher. Yeah, he's like, I don't know what mm-hmm. a Sicilian Butcher is, but I'm hoping it's good. So, it was – One of the few outdoor, really nice patios. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice – it was it was a really – Fun interview. It was a really so fun I am interview. Hoping you guys love it as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, a little background on Ned. He's the co-author of the Self-Driven Child with Dr. William Stixrude, and in his day job, he's the president, and he calls himself Tutor Geek of Prep Matters, uh, which <laughs> he describes as helping kids battle an alphabet of sinister standardized tests. Yes. Very much, very much a a good description. In addition, Ned helps parents adopt a new way of thinking and employs tools to support their kids' autonomy, vital to helping kids lower their stress and develop intrinsic motivation. Yes, which is why we love him so much. Yes, we hope you enjoy as much as we did our interview with Ned. Oh my gosh, you guys. Did you know? It's Joanne's birthday this week. It is. And I am a firm believer in the birthday week celebration instead of it being just a day. So we're doing a whole week of deals for you. That's right. And guess what today's deal is? Drum roll. The The Sibling sibling Adventure adventure pack. Pack. So here's what you need to do. To make sure you're in on the festivities, use the link in our show notes to download the No Guilt Mom Mindset and join our No Guilt Mom community. 
And if they're already in our No Guilt Mom community, they've already been receiving the emails, haven't they? Yes. Yes, they have. So don't miss out and help me celebrate my birthday by letting me give you a gift. So be on the lookout for all the birthday week celebrations and let's get on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the No Guilt Mom podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. What a, what a great show and what a, what a, what fun to be with you guys. It, like oh, we've thanks. already, I feel, had fun this morning. Like I had to tell Bree to stop talking until I press record because <laughs> <laughs> It just like we got to get the good stuff. But uh, for those people who don't know who you are and what you do, can you give us an introduction? Sure. Uh, In my day job, I'm a test prep geek. I help students prepare for battle against an alphabet of standardized tests of SAT and ACT, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Outside of that, uh, I'm a parent uh, of a son who's a freshman in college and a junior high school daughter. And I am the co-author with Dr. William Stickstrude of a book called The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives which we are all about here at the No Guilt Mom yes. podcast on how we can create self-motivated kids that are motivated to do stuff on their own and uh, rock the world, I guess. There's right? <laughs> a worthy goal for all of us to align behind. So, so there was something you said in your intro and I, and I see it in all of your work on everything I've seen. And I'm very curious, what exactly is a self-proclaimed tutor geek? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I decided a long while ago that it was probably a little bit better for me to make fun of myself a little bit and beat other people to the punch uh, before they can do that. Uh, And, you know, I, uh, well, part of it also, you know, for for a lot of people, these ridiculous tests are pretty stressful. They can feel... Mm -hmm pretty intense. And, you know, as a guy who's been doing this from since 1993, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm arguably better than most people who kind of step in the room with me. And, and I really, I really want to, I want to sort of be humble about this. I don't want to, you know, Mr. Johnson, blah, blah, blah. Um, If if for no other reason from certainly what I know from science and, and more so from my experience, when people are stressed, they don't think as well as they can think. So all of my energy goes into how do I help kids have a lower sense of stress and, you know, including feeling a sense of control, which of course is, you know, what our book is about. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, and you know what, you do have a very calming presence. Well, thank I, you. It, it's very, very fun. Very, very relaxed. I love it. I, I love what you said about that kids and people in general can't perform to the level they're capable of when they are anxious and stressed. Because I know taking tests as a kid, I, I felt that stress. And I'm sure many, many kids feel feel stressed today when taking those high stakes tests. Uh, so something that we really found in the self-driven child that we'd like to talk to you about that we thought was very, very appropriate for 2020. Very applicable. But yeah. Is how like situations that cause people stress usually have those four attributes that you refer mm-hmm. to as nuts. <laughs> 
Oh yes, I'm glad you. You know, if we don't feel nuts right now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when we will. Yeah, right? We got this from a, a researcher, a wonderful researcher named Sonia Luthien up in Montreal, and she she summarized. She said you can summarize what makes people nuts with that acronym. So N is novelty. Right. So no, the coronavirus, hey, not just the old <laughs> run-of-the-mill coronavirus, it's gosh darn it, the novel coronavirus. Yeah. Woo-hoo, right? Um, <laughs> you is unpredictability, right? I mean, this is what, make, this is what makes traffic so hard. If, if you could tell me we're going to suffer through this, this COVID thing until the 15th of, of June 2021, okay, I could deal with that. But, but, but nobody knows, and it's right. really hard. Mm-hmm. T is threat, um, perceived threat. And, you know, frankly, until March 16th of this year, most of us didn't feel like we had an existential threat every time we walked mm-hmm. outside the door. Uh, to your point, Joanne, for, for kids, it, it, that, that threat is often threat to ego. And so it's, you know, it's, if, I do, if I do poorly on this test, people will think I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. If I, if I struggle reading out loud in second grade, everyone's snickering at me. And, and that threat to ego is, is really, really profound, particularly when kids become, uh, when they go through middle school and become adolescents. And then the last one is S, a low sense of control. And the research all shows that it's this low sense of control that is the most stressful thing you can possibly experience. We can handle those first three, the novelty, the unpredictability, the threats, so long as we feel like there's something that we can do. And the easiest way for people to think about this is if, as parents, if you, if you got a note or a call or a text that your kid was gravely, something terrible had happened, and there's nothing you can do. You can't get there. I mean, it's you're just you're you're out of your mind. Where if you feel like there's something that you can do, it may be really hard. But but okay, we're gonna we're gonna work the problem. We're gonna find a solution. We're gonna do what we need to do. Um, and so so much of our when we so much of our book is about what improves a sense of control for kids because it's important for lowering their their sense of stress. And it also turns out it's it's vital to. Um, to develop in a sense of motivation, right? Of intrinsic motivation, which we talked about before, of self-directed, self-driven kids. You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But If you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially 
when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Bree here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. So what could we do to help like increase kids' sense of control, especially like during this time or during through schoolwork? Or I mean, this is a very broad question. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 answer it right now. Yeah, in, well, general. in general. Sure. Well, they're, they're, they're kind of two, they're two things to think about here. Um, one, I should point out that when we talk about a sense of control, there are kind of two parts to this. One, it's the subjective sense of autonomy, that this is my life, that I have choices, you know, da, da, da. It doesn't, by the way, mean that, that, that a kid is in charge of everything. We're not talking about putting mm-hmm. a four-year-old, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old in charge of the household. That actually doesn't make him feel better. That stresses him out because we don't want, I don't want, none of us want, we don't want our kids to have a sense of control over things that, that are overwhelming to us. It's just that we don't want kids to, to not feel in control of things that they can handle themselves. So, mm-hmm. so the sense of control is, is a sense of autonomy. And it's the brain state that supports this. Meaning when we're in our right minds, our prefrontal cortex, all those executive functions, decision-making, planning, blah, 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 runs the rest of our brain as opposed to the amygdala, the threat-detecting part of our brain. And so, Jen, so this is when, when you were, as a kid, if you were taking a test and you stress, the amygdala flares and you know, cortisol runs through your body and, you're, and you're, your prefrontal cortex is overwhelmed with neurotransmitters and it just kind of goes offline. It's supposed to. But you don't think very well. So, so my work, you know, starting a long, long time ago, was trying to understand underperformance and then figure out what made a difference. And so, things that helped kids feel more in control of the test and the preparation, and even things like sleep and exercise and mantras and music that psychs them up, and you know, lucky clothes going to the test. These things increase their perception of, of being in control and help mm-hmm. them be able to think better. 
Oh, I like that. I like. We need those lucky socks. We need those lucky yes, socks. Yes, we do. Well, we do. It's so funny because, like, um, just to reveal a little bit of my personal life. Um, so I, I'm a big proponent of therapy, and mm-hmm. I myself go to therapy. And I was just having this conversation um, about having those like good things in your life, so that when you have a bad or stressful moment, you can kind of shift your thinking to those things, like. Your uh, your socks are, for instance, my my daughter. We were in the car ride going to school, and she gets stomach aches because she gets so anxious, especially about fire alarms. And she's like, "I know the principal is going to have a fire alarm today," so she was really stressed out. And I asked her, "I'm like, so I, I got this tip. Uh, do you want to hear it?" And she's like, "Okay, sure." She, I'm like, "You just have to find something good that you can look at." And she's like, "What? What do you mean?" And I would point out these like silly things, like. Your shoes, you love your shoes and you feel so silly doing it, but yet those things actually make you happy and calm you down and they're not frivolous. They mm-hmm. do something good. Oh my God. Well, they, cer- they certainly yeah. do. I mean, you can read all about placebo. You know, I have this one, <laughs> it's a very fun article I wrote for Washington Post about how superstition helps, right? Oh. So this, is, uh, this, was, this came out of a, a kid I was working with who was clinically anxious all the way through middle school. And, and to your point, you know, figured out things that she could focus on that helped her do better, you know, kind of in this case, navigating social situations. And she applied these tools then to standardized tests. And so I finally noticed that when she was coming to take her te- practice test, she wore the same darn clothes every time. So I asked her about it at one point. And she's like, oh, yeah, she's a little sheepish. Here's the fun part. None of the clothes were hers. She had, she had borrowed a a sweatshirt from Joanne, right? And from Brie, you know, her lucky sweatpants, right? I'm hoping that the underpants were hers, but everything else she basically (laughs) swiped or borrowed or whatever, these clothes from, from her, from her friends. So these clothes were all imbued with, with the love and affection and friendship, you know, that you have with her friends. And she was putting on the armor. So it was like her four best friends were there with her taking the stupid test. That is, that's really so sweet. amazing. It's taking right? something borrowed to the test taking level. So I think wow. about your daughter with, if, if you've got a, if you've got a, um, you know, the, the uh, fire alarm, right. You know, if who's your ever best friend, you know, trade, trade shirts are out going to, they're going to outgrow them anyway. So who cares? Right. I got, I got yeah. your shirt. You got my shirt. There you go. That's it. They wear uniforms. So you really wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the shoes were important though, too. You can pick your Ooh. shoes. You can totally pick your shoes. No, I think like a lot of parents who have kids who show signs of anxiety. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, for instance, I think my kids, like I can see signs of anxiety in both of them, but I also know that I have trouble with anxiety and Mm -hmm. I'm affected by it. So what, like as a, a parent who struggles with anxiety, what can we do for our kids to kind of not repeat it to like the buck stops here with the, anxious behaviors. Oh, golly. You know, there's a, there's a lot to be said on that. Well, one thing, we have a chapter in the book called a non-anxious presence. Yes. And I wish, I wish we'd made up this term. We borrowed it and we're back to borrowing. I'm not stealing. Borrowing from a guy, <laughs> named, from a guy named Edwin Freeman. And he was, he, was a, he was a rabbi. He was a consultant. He worked with families and corporations and, you know, churches and synagogues and blah, blah, blah. And he made the point that Things go better when the person or people who are in charge are not overly reactive and they're not Mm -hmm. fear-mongering because if you're in the presence of someone who's really stressed, their amygdala is firing. Your amygdala will pick up on it as well. And your stress response, I don't know what the heck's going on, but it must be really bad because Bree is completely losing it. The right thing for me to (laughs) do is to lose it too, right? 
And so, so this is important because our, our kids watch us all the time. Our kids watch us all the time, right? Because they've grown up watching our faces. And so obviously the more that we can be non-anxious in the presence of something going poorly, the better that's going to, that better that's going to help. So, you know, it's kind of put your oxygen, your own oxygen on, on first, right? Mm-hmm. For me, a couple of things that help with that one is to always to take the long view because mm-hmm. really, you know, there are very few things that little kids face that are actually, you know, existential threats. And, I'm, and I imagine that a lot of the parents who are listening to your podcast are, you know, middle school parents, for instance. And then this is where, you know, social dynamics get harder and grades and, and, and everything can get a little bit wobbly. And it's mm-hmm. so easy for us to fall into the trap of, of the kind of fortune telling, you know, myth that if my kid is having a sucky time now, that she, the rest of her life is just going to be the pits, right? If my kid's a C mm. student, he's going to have a C life. And it just doesn't work out that way, in part because kids want their lives to be successful as well. Now, for Bill, who's a clinical neuropsychologist and spent 37 years helping kids who are struggling, you know, and, and sees all these, <laughs> he told me he got a Christmas card the other day from a parent. He had saw four kids and he hadn't seen them for a decade. And the card simply said, you were right. They all turned out great. Oh, but, okay. Right. But in the moment of it, it's so hard not to be super, you know, scared about this. Now, right. for, mm-hmm. for me, I have an easier time being a little bit non-anxious in the presence of what seem like small calamities, partly because I've, you know, walked through this so many times with families, but also because my background was really tough, but didn't end up leaving me broken. I guess it left me a tad emboldened in that my, my father's an alcoholic, eventually drank himself to death. My mother was mentally ill. I spent a good three months of seventh grade in a pediatric psychiatric hospital with depression. I wouldn't want to do that again. It was not, it wasn't a glorious time of my life, but I got through this with support. And when we talk about resilience, it's the experience of dealing with things with help. It's the experience of dealing with things that are difficult that wires the brain to think I can deal with things that are difficult. Mm. The problem that we as parents have is that when our ki- we don't want to see our kids suffer. It's in our genes. It's in our wiring. Mm. And we want to jump in and save kids. And they're grateful as all get out. And we feel like, ha-ha, I put on the cape. I'm super mom. I saved everything. <laughs> right? But it makes kids safe. It doesn't help them feel brave. Yeah. So one thing is if, if you are a parent, you know, and obviously this being non-anxious present, some people it's just the way they're wired and some people are more fretful. But if you are more fretful or more anxious, one thing that can be helpful is to verbalize, just to kind of talk out loud the things that you're upset about. And, but, but here's how I think I can deal with this, right? Mm-hmm. Because our kids learn so much more by watching us even if it's kind of self-consciously model things than, than by our sort of talking at them. So if you say, gosh, you know, I'm really, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. You know, I, I said something the other day to, to this guy, Ned, and I, gosh, I think I, I think I, I might've said it the wrong way. And I, but I'm thinking, but, but now that I think about it, it's, you know, it, it probably is, it probably isn't fair for me to think that I never make a mistake, right? That if I talk to someone for an hour, that I don't say anything that isn't the perfect words, you know, and he's a big boy too. And I'm sure he can probably get over it. Right. And you kind of model that for your kids to realize you can make mistakes. You can upset mm. people. You can upset your friends. And, and, and we, and we learned to get, we learned to get past that. So that's, that's, you know, one, one uh, suggestion anyway. I love that. Mistakes are wonderful opportunities to learn. Yes, they are. And I love the modeling of it too. And really talking through the issues. Cause like, yeah. I feel like I, I model to some extent, but I like the modeling of the like simple mistakes, like thinking that you said something wrong and like, it's okay that you said something wrong. Like how many times do we hear that as kids? Like our parents go through the process of 
you know, saying something that might have offended someone or uh, like just making a mistake at work and knowing that you can get past it uh, and modeling that resilience is so important. It's so easy. You know, it's funny. I have a former colleague who was just frankly, really perfectionistic, right? And she was so like undone when she would make mistakes, right? And then she'd always kind of dodge and weave and, you know, sort of mistakes were made as opposed to <laughs> my bad. I, I, really, I, I, yeah. I didn't handle that well. And it's from my, I mean, from my, I mean, I made mistakes left, right and center, but I'm also awfully good at saying, I, I, I yeah, my bad. I screwed that up. I'm sorry. Um, and it's just, it's so much less, for me, it's so much less stressful knowing that because I can apologize well, I don't have to be as afraid of making mistakes. Right? Mm. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, a friend said it's, it's easier to put on slippers than it is to carpet the world, right? You know, so <laughs> to run around thinking you're going to be perfect all the time, that's kind of a tall order. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And you wouldn't, and you wouldn't want people expecting perfection out of you 24 seven. No. So why would you want that kind of pressure on your children? And, you know, your, your, your point about, you know, parents trying to be perfect is such a good one. I, I sometimes throw my wife under the bus because I have, I have this wonderful wife who is, who is sort of breathtakingly competent in every way, almost to the point that it's annoying, except she does have an Achilles heel. She can't skate. So, so my, <laughs> my wife, Vanessa, on, on skates is like Bambi on ice. So thank goodness she has some, some big imperfection. But this must go back, goes back years ago where I, I, I shared with her there's probably value to her, even if it's a little bit on purpose. To, to, to let down her guard and, and, and let, let, let our kids see where she struggles and bobbles and is trying to figure this out as well. Because particularly for little guys, and probably most of all for girls going through, through middle school, they can look at moms like they're, like they're parthenogenic, right? It's Athena popping fully formed from the brow of Zeus, you know, perfect in every way, brilliant and brilliant. And, blah, blah. and of course, we know that we all went through middle school and, oh, please burn those pictures. And we know that we were awkward and had braces and didn't deal well with boys or girls or whatever. But our kids don't know that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think, for, I, think, I think for us to just be real, to be more open about it, um, I tend to overshare a little bit, but I think, I th- I think it's probably better a little, to overshare a little bit than to undershare. Um, so, our, so our kids kind of know what's going on inside our heads. Oh, because I was saying before that the, the non-anxious presence, if you're having a hard time and you're upset, the, the one thing that I think is really to be cautioned against is to act like things are fine when they're not. So if your kid mm. is upset or you're upset, and you're like, don't worry, sweetheart, it'll be fine, right? <laughs> they can you tell. Know, right? They can you're tell, lying, right? you liar. Can, right? So do they believe what their brains are telling them or do, do they believe what their ears are telling them, right? Right, yeah. Because there's things called mirror neurons in the front of the prefrontal cortex, even if it's not as dramatic as what I just said. And if, you're, if your brow is furrowed and your, your eyes narrow and you smile with only your mouth but not your eyes, your kids know that, right? And so then they must be thinking, oh, gosh, what, what's mom really not telling you? Oh, this must be really bad because I don't, doesn't feel like that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always have problems with the advice I see out there and I, I've seen it given very to, to people with very large audiences that mm. during like stressful situations, it is your job as a parent to keep it together for your kid and not give them like all the details of it and not let them know like what's going on to make them feel safe. And well, I just and- feel that that's, uh, first, it's dishonest. I feel yeah. like kids could see right through that. And that as an anxious child myself, like I knew when my parents were upset right. with something. 
Right. There's, and there's a difference between the things that are age appropriate that your child can handle knowing the, the full degree of the details. Yeah. And the things that they're not able then to handle the full degree of the details of. So like I had an instance too, like going back a few years ago where I, something happened in my family and I, I didn't tell my kids the whole story mm-hmm. and I told them what they could handle at that age. Mm-hmm. To this day, my daughter still throws it back to me of like, yeah, remember when you lied to me about that? And I'm like, I told you what you could handle. But I mean, yeah, it, you, you have to be open and honest because yeah, they know us. They, they know all of our tells. They've yeah, yeah, been yeah. around us their whole lives. And, like, and especially the little ones, they are excellent. At, mm-hmm. uh, at body language. They are yeah, excellent yeah. at reading cues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you can give kids the, what you think is the information say, does that answer your question? Do you want to know? Do you want to, do you want to know more? Right. I had a, I had a <laughs> story in the book at a kid who was doing this test prep with, and her parents shared with me that mom uh, had, mom had breast cancer. And so this kind of, you know, dropped a, you know, grenade right in the middle of their life. She said, Oh, but don't, but don't, don't, don't tell Sylvia, don't let her know. Oh, and I'm no. like, she already knows. She doesn't know, no, but she knows it's something profoundly wrong. And because when you when when they didn't share that information with her, she's just sitting there on pins and needles, going, something's really bad. Mm-hmm. As opposed to by bringing her in, she could become part of the solution, right? I can't help mom medically, but gosh, maybe I'll 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 I'll, I'll find a way that I can cook dinner. I remember years ago, I had this kid who was an incredibly complicated child and super, super, super anxious. And we were doing all this test prep. And for reasons I don't understand, we had a power outage right in the middle of our session. And it's like a Thursday afternoon at four o'clock, not a cloud in the sky. So how the power went, out, who knows? So we go outside and we sit and the, 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 the sun was going around the corner. So we weren't getting enough light in, our, in my office. So we went outside and sat a beautiful fall day sitting on the bench. And so sitting on the bench, this car drive by and one car, you know, somebody didn't obey the stop sign, whatever. One guy beeps at another and she kind of does this and like, let it go. And then five minutes later, a fire truck comes down the hill with a big thing. Again, she must jump two feet out of the, out of the seat. And she said, I'm sorry, just really stressed. I'm like, yeah, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us though, unfortunately have that really high, like, um, I could just, I can be really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my gosh. Um, I, people can scare me so easily. Um, oh, yeah. Be, yeah, like a startle reflex. Yeah. There you yeah. go, startle. I'm like, why am I missing that word? Well, um, you know, yes. and, and that's the interesting thing, you know, the, the uh, uh, we go back to the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala business, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a stress response. And it's just that for, typically for people who are anxious, it's just more, it's more highly tuned and it's more intense, right? So if you think mm-hmm. of this as a smoke detector, right? The smoke detector that's in the ICU, if someone lights a match, you want that thing to go off. Otherwise, we're blowing up everyone's grandma who's on oxygen, right? If you're the smoke detector in a commercial kitchen, forget the dinner on fire. You want a person to be on fire because, you know, otherwise no one would ever get fed, <laughs> right? Because yeah. just, there's, there's so much smoke in there. So, um, yeah, we, so we don't want to, I mean, different people have different settings in terms of how much they respond. To, to perceive threat. And, and, and the good news is we're, we're frankly better off if some people are really reactive and some people are less reactive, right? The firemen in the world who kind of run into fires, they have a much higher tolerance for high level stress 
Mm-hmm. But the people who avoid fires probably are ones who are much more, you know, kind of hypervigilant in, in, in avoiding those problems. Yeah, probably sure. Moms, put those matches down. Put those ashes. <laughs> well, and I feel like it's different for like every every sort of scenario too, because you say like the firefighter. Like for me, when I when I was a teacher in the classroom and thirty kids like who are loud, like I think I had a heightened level of noise that I was comfortable mm-hmm. with. Versus like when we had Girl Scout meetings here in the house and it was like eight girls. I'm like, I'm fine. And like moms would come in and be like, what is this? <laughs> like, so, it's so loud and crazy. And Joanne's looking around going like, what? What? They're what? good. They're good. Yeah. They're good. And, <laughs> and I'm sure that goes back to your to your skills and your experience and, and the perceived sense of control, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that I've done this before. I know I know how to handle this. It's okay if these kids are, are being noisy. 30 kids are running around like crazy. They're just blowing off steam. And I'll give them mm-hmm. out another seven minutes and then we'll settle down and come, we'll do book time or, wh- or whatever it happens to be where other parents are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I have seen other parents have like that reflex where, um, if a kid is like too loud or if they're playing kind of noisy, they're like quick to be like, okay, be quiet there, be quiet there. So like every, I know every, every single like direction mm-hmm. is telling the kid to like settle down and da da da. And it must go back to that, what they're comfortable with or what they Yep, 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 yep. And and it's funny, there was (laughs) was a story in in the book about a parent who was, who, who, like, like most moms, you know, was a little bit more on top of things, more fully developed executive functions than her teenage boy, right? And I perhaps unhelpfully pointed out, you know, that, that the way that she's looking at it, well, that it had been a, it's probably been a long while since she had had the brain of a teenage boy, right? <laughs> she's, but she says, but it just kills me to waste and watch so much time. Mm-hmm. And I maybe helpfully, maybe unhelpfully said, you know, my advice, just don't watch, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't, you can't make kids want what they don't want, right? You can't make them not want what they do want, right? And, you know, from a performance perspective, there's some people who take almost no stress to jump on and get on things. And other people need a ton of pressure. And this is why a lot of people, especially boys and men, are much more apt to procrastinate because they need that stress at the Mm -hmm. end to get higher activation to finally engage. And so a lot of times parents kind of lose their minds, you know, an hour or a day or maybe a week before the kid faces the pressure himself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) No. So I'm like, step away. Don't watch. If it's going to be a train wreck, it ain't, you know, one of the things we talk about in our book is to keep asking ourselves, whose problem is it? Hey, all it is Joanne and Bree here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. 
And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Yes. It cannot be, it cannot be any parent's responsibility to make her kid or make his kid do his homework because how could it be your responsibility to do something that's impossible? Because if a kid fundamentally didn't want to do it, he would close his eyes, put his hands fly flat on the floor, cover his ears and go la la la. You're going to peel him off the floor. You're going to duct tape him a chair, a pen. I mean, no, right? Yeah. Right. Clockwork orange and peel those eyes yeah, open. It's not, it's not possible. It's not right. possible. Yeah. So this is why we talk about trying to change the energy from being a manager which is a thankless job to be mm-hmm. a consultant who are massively overpaid relative to what they do, right? Well, yeah, massively, that'd be awesome. Now, homework, homework is one of those things. Like, I'm really, I'm really passionate about. Like, as a former teacher, and that's yeah. what um, we do through No Guilt Mom too. Like, I, I wrote a book called Drama Free Homework about helping mm-hmm. parents release. Release yep. that pressure. Yeah, changing the um, mindset. Just changing like, the mindset. Just being like, more yeah. of that consultant rather than yeah. the manager. And I, I love what you said about the procrastinating. About how some kids and um, they need that procrastination and that stress to really trigger them to performance. Because it just clicked exactly like what my son is doing. He's in second grade, and he, um, he, he likes to leave his homework till the morning. And that was something that freaked me out at first. I'm like, oh my gosh. And even last night, I was like cuddling him in bed and saying goodnight to him. He's like, Mom, I didn't do my homework. And I'm like, well, you know, this it'll happen in the morning. And then mm-hmm. this morning, bam, right on it. Didn't have to like tell him anything because he yep. felt that stress yep. and that pressure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, and, if, and, and in those situations, you can ask, you know, does it bother you? You know, would you like me to help you? get mm-hmm. it done earlier? Would you like me to help you? You know, because again, I think a lot of times people think, you know, think, think that if you are, um, if you're stepping away, right, if you're mm-hmm. stepping away, they're just saying it's, it's on you, kid, totally lazy, fair, like, you know, do whatever the heck you want. And we're not talking about that at all. Mm-mm. We're talking about sort of instead of standing behind your kid pushing him, you're, you're standing beside him saying, is there a way that I can help? There's a, there's a story in the book, my son, when, when he was in mm, maybe sixth grade, we got a note from the teacher 
saying, I've noticed that Matthew's showing up at, sc at school unprepared for math and he's doing his math at the last possible moment and it seems to be stressing out. You know, you know do you think you can make him get his homework done at, at home? <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote back. Yeah, and I wrote back. And I said, "Well, what you're seeing is the natural ramification of the kid who's procrastinating." Right? My wife and I have made a concerted effort that this is his work, and we we offer help, and we're here to help him in any way he wants because we can still both do sixth grade math. Uh, and you know, but but we're not we're not going to make it our responsibility for him to do his work. If you have as a sixth grade teacher with a lot of experience, if you have specific advice that you think would help him or you would give to us, we would love to hear it. But for our perspective, if he's showing up late and he's a little bit stressed, that's perfectly fine because it's a natural consequence for him of, mm -hmm. of being late. And we're not upset. Nobody has to be upset. If he's a little stressed, he, he's the one who should be stressed. I shouldn't be stressed. It's not my work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's a great point that it's the kid's stress. It is not the parents. And stress. he's the one that's going to realize, Oh, I don't like this feeling. Maybe I'm going to switch, switch yeah. something up, you know? And here's something that kids do a ton that many kids are really clever at figuring out how to outsource the stress from them to their parents. So here's an example. Really? So my daughter, I've my daughter's, my daughter's a junior and you can, you'd have to think about, you know, what's age appropriate, age four, six, 10, whatever. And so my daughter said, so she's distance learning and she doesn't like, she doesn't like this one teacher she said, do I have to go to class today? And I said to her, I said, well, I said, obviously I can't make you go to class. You know, I got my own, so I can't, obviously I can't make you. I said, but I also can't say that you don't have to go to class because I don't know what you're learning. I don't know how important it is to you, you know, and I'm not your teacher. So I can't, I can't say that you don't have to go to class. And she goes, give me one of these faces. <laughs> and I, she said, no, that's that not it. <laughs> that was not the answer I was looking for. I said, let me, let me guess here. So my guess is you were hoping that I would say, it's fine for you to not go to school. That way you wouldn't have to feel guilty about not going to class. And she's like, uh. yeah. And so you can imagine, do I have to go to Tony's birthday party? You know, and you say, and if you say, well, yeah, you have to because we promised we would. Now you're the bad guy. If you say you don't have to go and Tony yells at him, right, then, well, my mom said he didn't have to go. He's taken his problem, or my daughter's taken her problem, and made it the parent's problem. And so this is where you, you, you it's kind of a principle of nonviolent resistance. Say, so, well, obviously I can't make you. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll not do. Yeah. I like that. My daughter yeah. tries that a lot with me. I yeah. think I'm going to have to try that little, I'm going to call it my little Jedi mind trick where I'm going to be like, what I'm guessing you want me to say is yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. I had and, then was, and then I'll get that face too. I'll get that. <gasps> yeah. I this yeah. kid was, we're doing, I'm doing all this test prep stuff and she was, maybe she was a senior in high school and, and, and it was her last test. Right. And so, so the test was maybe two weeks from now. And so there was a practice. So we was basically doing her last practice test before she took the real test. And she's, you know, but there's this great party and she says, can I go to the party? Right. And her mom launches into, we've spent so much time. You spent so much money. You want to do well on this. And I said, you've totally fell into that trap where you say, obviously I, I can't lock you up. Right. You know, you know, it's your test. You know, it's your college. It's your, you're the one who's put all this hard work in. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think you can go to this, this, this party tonight and still do as well as you want on that practice test tomorrow? Or do you think maybe you should let the party go so that you're better positioned to do as well as you want tomorrow? What do you think? And you just, you, you don't answer the question that's being asked of you, right? Like any good politician. Mm. Oh, there you know you what? Through this talk, I realized that I have been, uh, that I, my son has been doing this to me, but in a very, very roundabout way. <laughs> like Knowledge he, is power. Oh my God. Knowledge is power. Except he doesn't say roundabout, like I don't know how to handle it. So maybe you'll have some insight on this. 
It's like I he will ask for something to be bought for so for example, he wanted us to buy Nutrigrain bars. And uh we're like, okay. And he's kind of a picky eater. So we buy this box of Nutrigrain bars and he tastes one and he doesn't like it. And then he's like, but you guys spent so much money on them. Like, I feel so bad. And my response is like, no, it's okay. We didn't spend too much money on it. But then he does it again with like a different, a different thing or like a water bottle. Oh, you got, you it spent so much money. Like, I can't believe I made this bad decision. And it's like putting all on, on mm-hmm. him. But then I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. Like he's, pu- he's putting on you to, to exculpate him, right? He's putting on yes. you to make it, make it go away. He and is. I, I, you know, and so I'm, I'm suffering. Just, yeah, don't let me <laughs> suffer, right? And we as parents are so inclined to rescue our kids and make that go away because it feels good, right? Yeah. And so a lot, and that's the kind of the, the non-anxious presence is sort of dealing with being comfortable with our own distress and our kids' distress because one of the, you know, there have been like 14 million books written in the last 10 years about resilience, 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 right? And what resilience really is is the ability to tolerate stress. And so you simply do not develop the ability to tolerate stress without having stress. You know, so if he says, I feel so bad, I, you know, you spend, you know, five bucks on these things and I really don't like it. Yeah, that's, that's true. What do you, what, what do you, what do you think we should, what, what do you think are the options are? You know, right? I. I love that. It's going to be my plan of attack. I love that because like what you just said, you can't build your resilience to stress without having stress. It's like nobody would expect you to be able to play baseball without having to actually play baseball. Yeah. And now I'm (laughs) seeing something else. Like I see when my son gets really stressed, I I immediately think like, oh my gosh, he's showing signs of anxiety. And I try to calm him down. Whereas now I am going to take a different tactic and be like, yes, that is a, that is an interesting problem. How do you think we should solve that? There's an incredible article I recommend you even put it out to your, to your folks, um, uh, written by Kate Julian, who's a uh, writer and editor for The Atlantic, who was the May mm-hmm. cover issue of The Atlantic. And of course, it got no traction because we were, oh, this is a virus thing? Anyway, it was parenting, it was parenting during, during the age of anxiety, something like this. Okay. Um, and one of the neat, coolest things that I saw, this was new to me, there's a program called SPACE. And it's supporting parents of anxious childhood emotions or something like that. A guy named Eli Leibowitz, who's up at Yale. Mm. He talks about that the dance that happens with, with, when children are anxious is their parents constantly try to accommodate them. They try to make mm-hmm. the stress go away. But over time, it gets worse and worse and worse. So he tells a story about some family, a kid was a super picky eater, right? And they accommodated to the point that this boy, whose name I can't remember, had had something like 7,000 meals of turkey loaf. Morning, noon, and night turkey loaf because it wasn't worth the fight on any given meal. Oh, God, just give him the turkey loaf. I just can't deal with this, right? But over time, so the problem is avoiding the, the dominant manifestation of anxiety is avoidance. That's how you can tell people are anxious. They avoid the thing right. that makes them anxious. And the mm. only way to, to, to undo that is to face the thing that makes you anxious. Now, this isn't, you know, throw them in the deep end of the pool kind of stuff because that leads to trauma, but it's doing it with support and with coaxing and sometimes even with rewards. I'm not a big uh, external motivator kind of guy, as you can imagine, um, yeah. but, doing it, but doing it with support so that, so that they, they can sit there and develop tolerance of stress. So I mean, if I were afraid of if I were afraid of the dark, right? I say, please, 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 please turn the lights on. <gasps> Thank goodness. And all the stress goes away. But I've actually left darkness at the peak of my intensity. And mm-hmm. so it's actually deep in my fear of the dark. 
where mm-hmm. what you could do is say, well, hold up, Ned, hold up, hold up. Wait, 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 I'm coming right over, I'm coming right over. And you sit there with me and you hold, hold my hand and, you, and I stay there in the presence of the thing that's stressful until my stress response comes back down, until it normalizes. And this is what tells my brain, it's not an existential threat. It's not the end of the world. I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. So the space program is really, it's great. They found that parents who had the specific type of treatment, their children's anxiety decreased as much as if the children themselves had done cognitive behavioral therapy. Nothing was done for the children. It was only for the parents because we as parents have, we're, we, we remove distress from kids because it's hard for, because it's distressing to us for them to be in distress. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yep. And that goes back to the guilt thing. You feel terrible that you let your kids suffer. And you're like, well, yeah, short-term, yeah. yes. Long-term, no. Exactly. I, that short-term versus long-term. My mind's blown. Like, I'm like, you're trying to I pick up the pieces right now. Hold I'm on, I'm going to put them back the together. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's so good. To, like, I'm thinking, like, every everything that's going on, especially the fire drills, the, like, and, and when I he, like when I was a camp counselor, for instance, I had a camper who was scared of fireworks and they had a mm-hmm. fireworks show at this camp. And so every fireworks, they tried to find like this, uh, seclu- this soundproof room for her so that she could stay in the soundproof room. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and someone had to stay there with her. So this one makes so much more sense because how are you ever going to That's deal right. with that unless you build up the tolerance for it? And, p- and part of it is, is visualizing too, is you can play these scenarios. And this is what people do when they, when they do CBT with exposure therapies. The, you first spend all this time rehearsing in the situation. How does it feel? What can you do? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and this is really important. You ask your kids, you know, Lisa Demore talks about this in under, in under pressure where, you know, kids upset about something, something, and you, and you, you're, you're empathetic. You say, I can see how hard that is. You know, what, what, what do you think are, we can do here? I have no idea. Well, let's just sit here and let's think about some options. What we as parents tend to do or teachers or camp counselors is give the kid, here's the solution. Mm-hmm. But then the, the problem is the kid will, will get the message that, the lived experience, that the solution to her problems don't reside within her. They reside within right. someone else, right? Okay. And so we so often want to give the kid this, that, the other, as opposed to, well, let's think mm-hmm. about this. And if they can, let's come up with 10 ideas. Okay, take a banana. That's a term, you know, and it's sort of like with brainstorming, right? You know, you come up with 20 ideas. You don't judge any of them. They can be the most terrible things in the world, but that process of looking for solutions, right? I and mean, this is what I do with test prep, right? You know, if the first way doesn't work, you're screwed. No, that's not true, right? If the first way doesn't work, can you do this? 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 Right? I have, you know, with, with students, I have this former colleague who used to, you know, the WWJD, he would have kids write down WWRD. What would Rob do? What would Rob do, right? And so they were just practicing, you know, different ways of approaching the problem so they don't get stuck. I think that's a great idea. That is excellent. And I, oh my gosh, all of the stuff you have shared with us. And again, totally mind blown. Um, amazing. amazing. What are you working on right now that you're excited about? Oh man, Bill and I are working on a second book. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. With a working title of what do you say? Oh. And the idea was, I mean, the, 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 the book has been well-received and a lot of people are reading it. And, but, but a lot of times folks come back, like, I love the science, it makes sense to me, the stories are helpful. But in this moment, kind of give me the words, right? What, what do I say? And mm-hmm. so they're chapters of how to talk to your kids to create, to establish empathy. 
How do you talk to your kids to motivate change? How do you talk to your kids to create inner drive? How to talk to your kids about the, the pursuit of, 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 of happiness, right? And so these different, these different kind of things. And so it's a combination of both a how-to, a kind of what's language that's more effective, and also very purposeful about what are we actually trying to convey to kids? Because right now, you know, if you ask, there's an article that we'll, we'll probably put out next year, that for high school juniors, if you ask them, what do, what do people my age ask them? Where, how is school? Where are you going to college? You know, what's your SAT? Maybe, you know, do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that as though that is the sum total Mm, yeah. of the thoughts of, of high school, you know, juniors and seniors, you know, what do you think about the world today? You know, who's, you know, politics, what are you into? What do you like to do outside of school? Blah, blah, blah. And so, the, you know, we ask these very narrowing questions and then we're surprised that kids are obsessed about grades and test scores in college. Mm-hmm. Their constant yeah, message sense. for 10 years right. is <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're grades right. in college, right? So ask them about anything else but that, right? Because they have, they have rich inner lives just like we do. Yeah, that's a great point. I like well, I cannot I'm, wait for that book. I'm excited. I'm very excited for that. It's where can fun people, to write. Where can people find you? Uh, well, let's see here. So we have a website, uh, self-driven, the selfdrivenchild.com. Uh, we actually have a, cl- uh, a Facebook group as well that people can join and we kind of hang out every Friday and do Facebook live events. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ned Johnson. I kind of mix um, test prep stuff and parenting stuff and, um, you know, go back and forth with, with the fabulous Jess Leahy and it's all fun. Yay. Very fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us yes. on the podcast. We like it's been amazing. It's been a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> well, thanks for having you guys. Are, you guys are terrific. You clearly are having fun doing what you're doing, which is so awesome because ultimately that's what we want as parents, right? Is to have fun as parents. Perfect? No, that's never the goal. But, you know, a, 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 a little more laughter and a lot of love goes a heck of a long way to make a bunch of other stuff just, you know, flow right right under the bridge. I'll throw into that, like, you know, what are the best stories when your family gets together? They're the stories of the complete and utter failures, yeah. not, the perfect, not the perfect times. No. <laughs> it's yeah. so, so true. It's true. Remember that yeah. time no, you true. missed the exit and you kept driving around in a circle for like half an hour because you kept yeah. missing the exit? Yeah. Yeah. Does, well, and the, it's interesting, you know, because the, the great insights, the great insights of, 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 of learning, and you, you know this as a teacher, and the great insights come from unexpected success or unexpected failure, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to run away from things. Well, that was a hot mess. I used, people used to ask me, so why are you better as a tutor than other people? And I used to say, because I've had more people fail with me. You know, and they looked at me like, what is your problem? No, seriously, because, you know, pick a way to screw up and I probably seen it or if not caused it. Right. And you go, oh, so, you know, and that's, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's what, you know, what's the expression that, um, um, you know, wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from bad decisions. Yes. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. 100% there. That's parenting in a nutshell. Thanks so much, Ned. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. So as we said in the intro, that was a fun interview. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Not not only was it just hilarious in all of the lovely little challenges that were thrown before us during uh, during that whole interview, but just the information. Like, I love talking to him. He Ned is awesome. Ned is awesome. He belongs in our, our No Guilt Mom, like, super crew. He does. Yes. He does. Like, it, it, there were so many things in there that I, I loved, um, especially at so many amazing nuggets that I'm like, of course, like 
talking about how we can't perform well when we're stressed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I can barely even put together a sentence, let alone take no, a test or like, do high level thinking. Stress like shuts down areas of your brain. It's like why people get test anxiety. Right. When they just forget everything they know because stress is like, mm, no, not today, brain. Yep. See, and again, like mine makes it so that putting words together, what? Complete thoughts? <laughs> no. <laughs> And then also yeah. talking about the, the non-anxious parent, we both were. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the non-anxious parenting presence, I really took to heart because we did this interview a month ago and um, I've had time to like pretend to be a non-anxious parent or at least try to exude that. because To, to aim in that general direction. Yeah, some, <laughs> some things I do, like my son, um, he just learned how to ride a bike uh, right before summer and he was riding a bike everywhere. And then around the summer months, he stopped because it's hot. It's Arizona. Right? Yes. And then he oh. was afraid to get back on a bike again. Well, every time that we went to the park, he would get on his bike with me and he'd be like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And like that immediately, like when our child's children have stress, like we feel it too. Mm-hmm. We yeah. feel it deeply. And with me, I was saying, okay, no, you can do it. Let's try it again. And he would push back so hard that I'm like, okay, well, we're obviously not in a state where we can work on this bike riding. So let's quit for today. Let's try again tomorrow. And we tried again tomorrow, again the next day, then the next day. I couldn't get him on that bike. My husband goes out one time and gets my son on the bike. And the only thing that I can think is that he was totally not anxious about it. Like my son's reaction didn't have the same effect on him as it did on me, or at least he didn't let it have the same effect on him as it did on me. And I think that kids can sense when we are anxious about something. Oh, I 100% believe that. And I know I I have personally no poker face. Yeah, like, I, don't, I, I don't have a poker face either. Right? Like you, I walk in and you'll be like, oh. You're like, what's wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just tell. I'm like that too. And Gosh. well, like Josh says that it's like the best thing about me because he can always tell what I'm feeling. True. I can't true. hide it. In yeah. some cases, it's really good. But in other cases, when we're trying to like be brave for our kids, it's a little hard, right? It is a little hard. Like, I think people need to give lessons to parents about how to be non-anxious and like not let your feelings show so much. But yeah, at the same time, I am all for talking about feelings and showing feelings. So it's really just a balance. It is. It, it is. And I think everything like that in life, I mean, everything in life is like that, especially when it comes to parenting. It's about mm-hmm. a balance. There is no one thing you can do perfectly 24-7. There's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that at all times. Yeah. So another another amazing thing that I remember him talking about was like not saving your kids. You can't be super mom. You can't be super mom. As much as we want to save them from the disappointment, we want to save them from failure. We want to save them from... The humiliation, the mm-hmm. pain, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah we're not helping them. No. Yeah. And it's so funny because I was just reading a book last night and uh, it was describing how the best way to stop saving your kids is to make them order for themselves when they go out to eat. Ooh. Because you know how kids tend to mumble and be very inarticulate and like the wait staff is like, no. No, like they're like, what did you say? Like, excuse me? Like, and the kid has to say it over and over again. And then usually as a parent, that's when you step in and be like, he'll have the cheeseburger. Well, this book suggests that no, just let them stumble. They just have to say it over again until they're articulate and people can understand. That's a really great idea. And you know, what's funny is now listening to that, 
I've always, um, well, not always, for the most part, I, I try to have my kids do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I do one thing that probably um, like sabotages it. Before they order, I will say to them, speak clearly and look at the waiter, uh, look at the waiter in the eye. See, I think that's just teaching manners, though. I, well, I hope. But I'm thinking to myself right there, though, then I'm like, I'm and the reason I'm doing it really isn't. Well, it, I do at the end. I look at him and go, did you say thank you? <laughs> but and that's the manner part. But I I think when I'm doing it though, I'm already like anticipating what their problem is going to be. Oh. And so I'm telling them how to fix it before it happens. So I'm like right? Yeah, I'm not letting them like interesting have that experiment then. Yes, Back I'm gonna, off on it and I see what am. they do. I am but but then that also means that we need to be able to go to restaurants again. I know. You can't really practice that skill right now, not, unfortunately. Not right now with everything going on with COVID still, but maybe in the near future. Maybe you can go to the Starbucks drive-thru and have them order through the back Ooh, window. I do make my daughter do that because her drinks are far too complicated. <laughs> like, like once you have more it. than two directions on your drink, I'm out. Peace out. I'm done. Out. So I make her yell over me from the passenger seat. She gets so mad because she's 12. It's like, if you want a Frappuccino, you better say it. Yeah. And then like she she doesn't. And it's funny too when it comes to Starbucks because, you know, they have somebody with the video cameras. Yes. Like the, and she's like, but they can see me, mom. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You have to learn how to talk to strangers. <laughs> It's how it is. Yes, it's we're how so it is. good at making our kids learn. <laughs> well, hopefully you guys really enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And so yes. much so that you will go and review our podcast. Please, uh-huh. please leave us a one to two sentence review if you have a few minutes. We greatly appreciate it. And it helps other parents find the podcast as well. And give us a star rating. We hope that we've earned your five stars. Uh, And if we haven't, please let us know it. Hello at noguiltmom.com and tell us how we can improve. Yes. Yes. And you know what? And if you have any suggestions on a topic or a guest you would like to, to see or hear on the podcast, let us know. We love, we love, love, love to hear from our listeners. So yes. So until next time, the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross-type paint-on-paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not gonna wanna miss an episode. Unsticking it with Blair and Molly because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.